Welcome to Building Charleston, a podcast where we shine a bright light on the dynamic companies changing the landscape of Charleston, South Carolina. My name is Matt Chapdelaine, and as your host each week, I'll be bringing you the most interesting business owners in the Lowcountry. We'll explore how they got to where they are, what they're working on, and what their vision is for the future of Charleston. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. This episode of Building Charleston is brought to you by Lane Commercial Real Estate, the Low Country's premier commercial real estate brokerage firm focused on Charleston's office, retail, and industrial tenants. If you're responsible for your company's real estate needs and your company is expanding, looking to open a new location, or opening the first location in the Charleston area, give Lane Commercial Real Estate a call at 843-508-3038 or go to the website at www.lanecre.com. That's L-A-I-N-E-C-R-E.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Building Charleston podcast, a podcast where we spend some time each week to meet the leaders who are shaping the low country as it continues to grow. My name is Matt Chapdelaine. I am the host of Building Charleston. I'm also the broker in charge at Lane Commercial Real Estate. We're recording today on February 7th from the Building Charleston studios and also the home of Lane Commercial Real Estate. As a reminder, you can listen to us on every single uh, podcast source available, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, but you can also watch us on uh, Instagram and YouTube now. So today's topic, you know, it's no secret that South Carolina and the Charleston region have been growing uh, exceptionally fast, amongst the fastest in the country. And I got to thinking, you know, why is that? Is it, is it just the weather? But I think there's some other aspects to it. There's certainly more to the story. And today we're going to find out a little bit more with uh, one of the individuals who's been very influential on, you know, kind of our past and, and is going to be influential on the future of where, else, where Charleston's going. So today's guest is the former governor of South Carolina, a congressman a presidential candidate. Today's guest is Mark Sanford. Mark, welcome to the Building Charleston podcast. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for being here. I typically ask uh, you know, my guests to, who come on here to tell us a little bit about themselves, but uh, in, in your case, you're a public figure, um, you know, very widely publicized, so I'm not going to ask you to get too much into um, I guess your story, but you know, to lay the groundwork today, we'll talk about two kind of separate stories. One, I want to kind of talk a little bit about your impact on the, the foundation of what uh, has made Charleston and the South Carolina region so popular, but then I want to learn a little bit more about what you're working on today because, uh, you know, obviously being a presidential candidate and, and other, the other things you're working on is very, very topical stuff. So let's dive into kind of, you know, the past. Uh, if, if you were you were the governor during a very influential time in the Charleston area, what was it like being the governor and really laying the groundwork for all the success that the, the South Carolina regions experienced? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, Charleston's growth has been on its own. And so I'd give credit to Joe Riley and people like that, that have been instrumental in in being firm and clear in their vision of what might Charleston look like, you know, 100 years from now or 50 years from now. What we tried to do was to complement those local efforts with an underlying playing field that was conducive to business. Uh, You know, I, I would tell my team in the cabinet, Pretend we're a different country, which didn't work out so well for us uh, some time ago, if you look at it, Fort Sumter. Not in that sense, but in the sense that if you think about Estonia, or if you think about, you know, India, or if you think about, pick your country out there, mm-hmm. 
We're in an international competition for jobs, capital, and way of life. And capital is going to gravitate to those places where it's basically loved. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we tried to do was to get the soul conditions right. So whether it's two kids in a basement with a dream, whether it's a multinational corporation from across the Atlantic or Pacific, whether it's a a business somewhere else in the country thinking of relocating, how could we create business conditions that were conducive to them to either growing that business here, starting the business here, or moving the business here. And and so, you know, during our time of the governorship, we everything from from educational reform with first of its kind charter school or workers' comp reform or tort reform or the first income tax cut to in South Carolina's history. I mean, we did a lot of things that were all aimed at one simple thing. How do we become more conducive, more inviting for capital? Okay. And how do those conversations start? So, you know, take like a, you know, Boeing might be like the, the, the higher profile, but I'm sure that underneath Boeing is, you know, a lot of, you know, mid to smaller size companies. Sure. H- how does that conversation start? What does the conversation start look like? And what are the themes that, that people are, are telling you, hey, listen, this is what we're really looking for in a place well, where we actually relocate. had Michael Porter, who's a competitive guru from uh, up at Harvard. Uh, with South Carolina ties, come down and to talk about sort of a competitive analysis. What was our comparative advantage relative to other places? And so I would say what it looked like was couplefold, looking at our strengths. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the amount of warehouse, for instance, that we went after. Well, why? Because of our geography mm-hmm. uh, and where we are midway in the Atlantic and the fact that we had a deep water port, fact that you had the I-85 corridor. You know, w- w- we looked at it, again, a lot of niches, but we did look. I mean, Boeing came here, you know, somebody that everybody needs to pat on the back who lives right here in Charleston, who does not get the accolades that he's earned. The reason that Boeing is here is because of Bob Faith, who's had a great star. And he was my secretary of commerce at the time. And I remember walking in, he found an article in Fortune magazine. He opened it, look at what they're doing with composites and commercial aircraft. And what if we went after that? Because right now, you know, Boeing is in Everett. They're not doing commercial aircraft outside of Everett. What if we, you know, looked at, at alternatives to what they got? And so you began a conversation with Jim McNerney, who was then head of Boeing, and mm-hmm. one thing went from there. We went to the Chinese. It was interesting. At that time, there was a bit of protectionist foment, not that there isn't now. <laughs> and we went to them and said, look, you have a political problem. And everybody's got to save face. That's something actually very important within Chinese culture. But people have to save face in America, too. And so if we lose a factory, if politicians don't have an excuse to say, we lost this, but we gained this one over here, they got to have somebody blame. Guess what? You're it. And and so you could invest in Florida. You could invest in Texas. You could invest a lot of different places out there. But why not go to the place wherein it's sort of the epicenter of protectionist movement? Because at that time, Roger Milken was still alive. And one thing led to another. And as a consequence, you know, hire came here, first of its kind in terms of manufacturing. I won't bore you with all the stories, but the point is, we look from comparative advantage. We look to problem solve for other places around the country, around the globe. Wow. Now, tell me a little bit about the, the port in your estimation, how important it is in, in, in Charleston, because I read something uh, in the Post and Courier yesterday that as an independent state, South Carolina does more trade with uh, with China than just about any other country as if they were to stand alone. How important is the port to drawing in, again, a Boeing or some of these other manufacturing companies? 
It's very important. It's an added feature, and distribution in a global economy is incredibly important. I mean, I believe what Friedman talked about some time ago in this notion of the world is flat. And as a consequence, we're in a competition the likes of which we have never seen in the history of man. I mean, it used to be nothing against somebody born in Burma, but if you were born in Burma, unless you got a green card out of that place, you may love your wife, you may love your kids— But let's say you had incredible intellectual capacity. There was no way to export the value of your intellectual capacity. Now with globalization, for the first time ever in history, you could get on the internet and actually export the value of your intellectual capacity in ways that have never before been the case. It's really changed the playing field. So the idea of another point of connectedness is the importance of the port. Okay. One last question on politics, and we're going to move yeah. on to some more topical stuff. But what's the difference in terms of laying the groundwork for the growth here between being a governor and being a congressman? Is it drastic? I assume it's drastically different, or what's how much? Well, it's uh, not different, but what everybody forgets is the third leg of the stool. The reason that so many people come here is not only because we're inviting for capital relatives to some other places but because of quality of life. And what we better watch out for in the low country of South Carolina is killing off the goose that's laying the golden egg. Because not so much with industry, but when you talk to, well, no, in fact, with industry, I remember having, uh, you know, Vought Alenia, which was the precursor to the Boeing investment. They made the original $600 million investment. I remember we were, we'd picked him up in some cow field in Alabama and we'd flown him in. I said, I want you to drop in over the base and put the plane on the deck as we come around Kiowa and then come up through Charleston Harbor and land. By the time we'd gotten into Kiowa, these guys were already sold. We were trying to create the illusion that every house was like the house at Kiowa. And sure. it was, but, but the point was, it wasn't an illusion. We have a look and a feel that's different than Linden, New Jersey. I mean, nothing against Linden, New Jersey. Yep. And so, you know, one of the things that I didn't get to finish when I was in Congress that I still want to work on as a private citizen is this idea of a mega park at the tip of Daniel Island. We've got to do some things to preserve open space and quality life because that's what draws many of the retirees here. That's what keeps many of the young millennials here. And you can lose that very, very easily. And if so, great. They got a bigger port up in New York and they've got probably better air service coming out of Newark. You know, keep your point of competitive advantage. And for us, it is quality and way of life. Okay. Well, that's a, it's a great answer to the question and, and certainly leads me into the, the transition, which is the second half of this conversation. Mark, what are you working on these days? I, I don't know. You know, I, I used to be a real estate guy ages ago. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll go back to that. But the problem is I can't compete with guys as smart <laughs> and good looking as you are. So <laughs> I'm out of luck there. And so I, I don't know what I'm going to do next. You know, the, the whole presidential thing was never a, a true presidential run. Mm-hmm. It was an attempt to elevate. You know, the buddies that came to me on this thing came after, the day after I lost that race in Congress, they came and said, look, you know, God just cleared your calendar for a reason. I'm like, so glad you got the direct connect. Fill me in. <laughs> yeah. And they said, no, no, no. What you need to do is primary the president. I said, are you completely out of your minds? You know, there's no shot. I said, of course there's no shot. There's no way you could win. Mm-hmm. But after essentially 25 years tied and involved in politics, what's a couple of additional months if you could raise and elevate this simple question of how do we pay for all this stuff, Mm -hmm. which is not being talked about in this presidential cycle on the Republican nor the Democratic side. 
And so one of the, my great worries in terms of what comes next is tied to this notion of sustainability. Our finances are not sustainable as a country. And if we simply wait till we go over the curve financially, every one of us is going to get burned. It'll have implications in terms of the value of the dollar. It'll have implications in terms of future inflation. It'll have implications in terms of the value of what you may have saved to date. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know what I'm going to do, but always in some capacity, in even as a private citizen, I want to have a hand in trying to elevate that debate because if not, it's going to really burn a whole lot of folks among them my four sons. Sure. So what, what are the steps we take? Because I, I think you look at politics and you know, not necessarily a, a political show, but, a, but let's call it a finance show. It's, it's business, uh, left, right, center, or any kind of combination in between. You look at the budget, um, which is important. And it's what we're talking about. And it just keeps, no matter what, it just, it balloons. It goes like, you know, to the moon. What can we do? What should we do? I mean, every one of us, it. in short version, every one of us needs to start raising hell. I mean, Jefferson talked about the fact that a democracy rests on the active participation of its citizens. Mm -hmm. And what too often happens, and I get it, everybody's busy with trying to get the kids to and from soccer practice, to and from school, themselves to and from work. And we're busy. We're mm -hmm. tapped out. But every one of us needs to carve just another couple minutes to doing something about the larger landscape that we're all dependent on and all operate on. That's the political environment. And so... It means make noise on, what are you talking about? I mean, when these folks on the Republican and Democratic side come up with these proposals that do not include financial reality, people need to challenge them on it. I, I'll give you another example that really bothers me. I, I don't know if you saw the stuff in the paper this week on the Charleston Airport Authority. Mm -hmm. I mean, are you kidding me? A 290, and that's the tip of the iceberg. There's another 40% yep. on top of that when you include state benefits. So a 300,000-plus job, and, you know, Elliot Sumney's certainly a smart guy. He's operating in his best interest, but that's not what a public board is supposed to do. They're mm -hmm. supposed to operate in the public interest. And so, you you know, you can, uh, Joel, wind uh, the board so that it's configured to appoint you to this 300,000-plus job Without one interview for one other person, and you're telling me out of the thousands and thousands of people I've come across and you've come across, not just in the low country, but across the state of South Carolina, across the nation, we're not going to interview one person because we've got somebody here on the board. And so, you know, Henry Fishburne resigned, said, this is crazy. This makes no sense with a public entity. But what they're presupposing is that people are too busy with their lives. Nobody will make noise. Nobody will protest and say, forget it. Why, why am I paying what I'm paying for the cost of uh, parking at the airport if I'm paying for this kind of cronyism? I mean, every one of us needs to way, find ways to make a challenge, to make some noise, whether it's on something local like a cronyism, political, raw political cronyism, as has been editorialized by the Post and Courier here in Charleston at the, the uh, airport authority or on the national debt, or pick your subject. Yep. Well, and to give some context for those who are listening who are unaware of the situation, uh, Elliot Sumney is the uh, the son of the mayor of North Charleston, which is where the airport, the Charleston yep. Airport, CHS, resides. And he was uh, awarded a position as, what, the CEO of the Airport Authority. And yeah, it's $290,000, and it's funny. Nobody would award it. Yeah. He arranged the votes on the board. Now, here's the problem with it. That board is about to control 
almost a billion dollars of new spending. And if a board will act that much out of the public interest, get ready to get fleeced mm-hmm. because a bunch of money is about to go before the board. And, and it's the little crumbs you got to watch out in public policy when people can pull off a million here, a million there. As, uh, I can't remember the former senator from, I guess it was Arkansas, you say, million here, a million there, and sooner or later you begin to talk about real money, and, <laughs> and, and these things add up. So I think it's important to to thwart and to challenge cronyism right there at the start mm-hmm. rather than let the thing fester. Yes, because as people who listen to the show know, I moved here from, from Chicago. Chicago yeah. is a place okay, where— you know uh, it. Yeah, you know I mean, cronyism. This is, this, is, this is layup stuff. In fact, my, my, lo- my local friends here have kind of asked me about this, like, you know, or, or they've, they said, boy, this is crazy, and, I, and, and maybe I'm just numb to it because in Chicago it's a cottage industry. I mean, right, this, right, is, right. this is a rounding error in terms of—I mean, this right. is not the exception. It is the rule. Right. Um, and all that stuff was started really big but before I got there. But it's the reason you moved from Chicago, yes. which is— is the reason we're able to have a lower price point on our government relative to the Northeast mm-hmm. or relative to a place like Chicago is traditionally that has not been mm-hmm. our way of life. It's existed. I've seen it. I was governor for eight years. You saw different bits and pieces of it. But it was in Abbeville, South Carolina, or it was in Allendale, and there wasn't much happening there. But you get into a vibrant market like Charleston, and you let this stuff get started, it's a cancer and it grows. Is there anything that we can immediately do or should immediately do? Yeah, I'd call your you know, state house member or your state senator and say, what are you going to do about this? Because it's the local delegation that ultimately makes the appointments that are driven through the governor, signed off by the governor, but it begins here at the local delegation. And so Chip Campson and uh, Peter McCoy and Leon Stavernakis, and I mean, you you, you can fill out the list on the local delegation. Okay. Before we um, pivot off of, uh, I guess, what you're working on now, kind of things you want to talk about, is there anything else you want to discuss or think that needs to be uh, brought out? Well, it's a big world out there. There are all kinds of things we can talk about. I would say two things. I would say one, um, what I said earlier, which is we live in a remarkable part of the world. And it's amazing to me the number of folks that I talk to that have come from somewhere else to be here, again, in large part because of the lifestyle. And they Mm -hmm. sort of make it fit. Okay, doesn't maybe have the financial opportunity that New York or Chicago does, but man, the quality of life is a whole lot better. I talked to somebody yesterday, and they were telling me how their assistant had moved down who previously had been in one of the outer boroughs of New York. Their family was squeezed into a a two-bedroom flat, no open space, and so this assistant moved down. Now they live like in a five-bedroom house yeah, yeah. Uh, up north of Mount Pleasant, have a pool in the back. They're just going nuts yeah. on how crazy it is on how much they get relative to what they used to get. But it's important that every one of us look for ways of insisting here in the local community that we keep parks and open space a part of that equation. I just keep going back to that because, you know, I was actually born in South Florida. Okay. I grew up here, but I I was born in South Florida. And the natural default, if we aren't proactive, is that we will look like South Florida in 50 years. And I think that that would be a mistake. Okay, good stuff. So um, as a Charleston resident, I want to ask, uh, moving off politics, as we kind of of wind this down, what do you like to do for fun in, in the Charleston area? I love the water. You know, the water's always been a big part of my life. And so... I've always surfed and windsurfed, and now I attempt to kiteboard. I'm still scared <laughs> of that sail. I don't <laughs> such power. Wow. Yeah. With my boys. I mean, uh, thankfully, three of my sons live here in Charleston. 
Uh, two of them are real estate guys. Uh, throw well, a crumb occasionally. Yeah, we have a lot to talk. Crumb, yeah. a yep. crumb. Yeah, and, at least uh, I can do. Yeah, and so you know you get to do that stuff with them. We have a farm about an hour south of here, which is sort of a a sacred place for me. It's always been a place where I could get away from it all, and um, I love that place. And so we do all the traditional hunting and fiddling outdoors and just running a bush hog and just being outside mm-hmm. and clearing your mind kind of thing down there. And so I love the country city combination, but particularly the water. You know, the, we have a little boat and we go around in the summer and I really love that part of low country life. Okay. Well, to the first point about surfing, stay tuned. I think we just booked a show for the end of February that's all about the surfing industry and everything that's going uh-huh. on here. And part of the show is uh, they're going to bring me out surfing. So nice. I've not surfed yet, but. Uh, In February, no less. Good luck. Yeah, water a, yeah, a little nippy. Yeah, they, uh, they've, got a surf, a they've got a surf company. Yeah, they, they got the wetsuit okay. for me. They got uh, some boots, they said. Um, okay. So we'll, get, we'll give it a shot. I, I, don't know, I don't know if we're going to film that one or not. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe we'll Falling film it. Beach, and, here we come. Ha, yeah. Ha, I highly edited it. So, um, you know, last question before we start to wrap up here. Yeah. It's a question I ask of everybody. Uh, you know, what is your vision of Charleston? If, you know, if you were to wake up 10 years from now, what do you want Charleston to look like? I want it to have that park. And this is something I'd ask everybody to help out on. This is another project that I will get into once I, I, I lock into something that puts a little bit of bread on the table. Uh, again, I, I think it's vital that we lock and set aside that park. It's something that I actually began to work on as governor, and then I got derailed, and then I came back to it in the Stanton Congress, but then I, you know ran out of time. But we have an incredible opportunity. I mean, I, I, you think about the epicenter as Charleston goes and grows here over the next 100 years will really be about Daniel Island. And the ability for a young millennial to get on a water taxi from downtown Charleston and run over and in, in less than 10 minutes be at a roughly 400-acre spot where you could take your bike and you could ride around not contesting uh, traffic as you do so would be a big deal. The idea of, you know, you think about all the great cities of the world, they have parks of scale. Think about London. Think about Paris. Think about even Tokyo. Think about the Waterfront Harbor Park there in Sydney, Australia. I mean, around the world. I mean, think about San Francisco. Think about Central Park. I used to live in New York. Mm -hmm. I could not have survived in that city were it not for Central Park. 640 acres there in the middle of Manhattan. And so, again, we have that opportunity with spoils area on the tip of Daniel Island. And what I've suggested is don't take the whole thing. It's almost a thousand acres and you can go ahead and the Ports Authority can develop in time the left-hand side, but preserve the right-hand side. It gets a prevailing breeze. A family could take, you know, a picnic basket after church on Sunday and have the kids wandering and get that prevailing summer breeze, which makes all the difference in the world. What we don't want to do is save just parks out at the periphery of Charleston because Cities, as they grow, get harder and harder to get out of. But to be in the center and to have a park of scale, I think would be an incredible lifestyle enhancement and something that we could all enjoy. And so I'm going to work on that, but I'd ask other people to work on that as well. Okay. That's a great answer. Yeah. That's great. So at this point, we start to uh, you know wind down the show, and at this point, I offer my Building Charleston pro tip. All right? And this week's pro tip is 
take your shot, all right? Because you miss every shot that you don't take. Mm -hmm. And I say that in the context of my meeting you and having the opportunity to, you know, sure. get you on the show. You know, the whole way that this show came about, uh, we were at a similar coffee shop. I saw Mark uh, sitting by himself waiting for someone to show up. Uh, I was actually with, uh, with, a, with a friend of mine, and I said, boy, I should go over there and ask him, uh, you know, to be on the show. He said, oh boy, I don't know. Go for it. Uh, so sure enough, walked across the room and, uh, you know, just Mark was very friendly and, uh, you know, gave him my card and he said, yeah, I'd love to be on the show. And I was kind of stunned, but I was like, wow, that's awesome. So, you know, I, I took my shot and I got it. And it's very similar to people, other people who are going to be on the show coming up. You know, I referenced the surf uh, experience. It's a guy who actually listens to the podcast a lot. He's like, I got a surfing company. They can make for a great show. You, you know, you want to do a show on it? Yeah. I said, heck, heck yeah, I want to do that. Right. Um, so he took his shot and, and he got it. You miss every shot you don't take. So that's the Building Charleston pro tip. You know, take your shot because even if you miss, who cares? But you will miss every shot that you don't take. With that said, we do host uh guests every single week or every other week at this point on the show. So if you've got a story that you think is interesting, please reach out to me. Uh, like I said, we record every other week or so, and uh, we're available on iTunes, Spotify, all the podcast platforms, along with Instagram and YouTube. Finally, I would say this, uh, getting back to taking your shot. If you're listening to this podcast from outside the country or outside the state of South Carolina or the Charleston area, and you want to open up a business here, Take a shot and give me a call. My phone number and my contact information are in the show notes to the podcast. Reach out to me. I can show you, at least from a real estate perspective, you know where the opportunities are for you to set up shop. So with that said, I just want to thank uh, Mark Sanford one more time for being on the podcast today. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in and everyone who helps make this show a possibility. Go out there, everyone, and make it a great day. This episode of Building Charleston is brought to you by Lane Commercial Real Estate, the Low Country's premier commercial real estate brokerage firm focused exclusively on representing Charleston's office, retail, and industrial tenants. If you're responsible for your company's real estate needs and your company is expanding, downsizing, looking to open a new location, or opening the first office in the Charleston area, Give us a call at 843-508-3038 or go to our website at www.lanecre.com. That's L-A-I-N-E-C-R-E.com.